0: hello and welcome to the first edition of the 2022 Thursday NFL betting and daily fantasy preview show I am your host Ian O'Connor uh, senior data analyst at football outsiders and joining me as my co-host as he will every week is Tom Strachan, the newest one of the newest football outsiders contributors Tom how are you doing on this Thursday the kickoff Thursday of NFL season
1: yeah, it feels so awesome for kickoff to be here like you know how many months have we spent sort of making these hot takes coming up with ideas of how we think the season comes out I've Drafted far too many best ball teams, got far too many dynasty rosters that I need to set tonight before kickoff. But it's here, just ready for things to get going.
0: Yep, it's finally here. You mentioned the months of, of hot takes. There have been plenty of them, especially as you get further into the, the offseason where people and shows are losing uh, losing talking points to talk about, but also all the research that's gone into it over the, this time. And we finally get to to see some product on the field that's not just preseason games. Before we get started, I just want to remind you all who are watching, today, Thursday, is your last chance to get 10% off of FO+. You can get that at footballoutsiders.com slash subscribe. Get Fantasy tools in season are NFL betting picks, which we'll cover some of those uh, here in this show, as well as other content that is behind the paywall throughout the season. There's some great articles and stuff that will be going out there. So again, last day to get it for 10% off at footballoutsiders.com slash subscribe. Before jumping into the games, I know we've got the kickoff game tonight. We're all looking forward to it. Potentially a Super Bowl matchup. Uh, We've got the the Super Bowl favorites versus the the defending champs. But, Tom, what are you most looking forward to out of this first weekend of NFL action other than the fact that football is back?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, this first game, it's, you know, this two defenses were both top five in DVOA last year. So it feels it's a little easy to sort of look at the offense and think this could be a really explosive game. But. Equally, I mean, what if we get just like two defences who come out on top and it's just really a hard to grind out game? But for me, the most interesting fantasy aspect of this game is going to be the wide receiver twos on each team. So on the Rams side, you've got Alan Robinson, who came across as a free agent after a very down year by his standards last year. He looked unmotivated to be in Chicago. But all reports so far have said that he's had an immediate rapport with Matthew Stafford, and he's been lighting up camp routinely. So really interesting how he gets on. And Gabe Davis, of course, for the Bills, broke out down the stretch last year, and he's split people in the fantasy community. He's been going in, like, the top of the fourth round in best ball drafts, and we've seen how explosive he can be. But is he going to be able to sustain that across the course of the season? So, yeah, really interesting that battle between the two wide receiver twos.
0: Yeah, and you mentioned uh, Allen Robinson there, and Van Jefferson is out this week, potentially even more. Um, Ben Skowronek, uh, I think is how you say his name. He had a little bit of action last year in some games, but that could mean even more targets for Cooper Cup and Allen Robinson tonight as well. Uh, Tyler Higby, I feel like he's the forgotten guy here. I know he's had uh, some ups and some downs, Um, but I know I saw a lot of people that were kind of still high on him. You know, He's the number one tight end in what should be an explosive offense Yet again, is he someone that you targeted as well throughout this this offseason in some of your drafts?
1: Yeah, I mean, Tyler Higby, the, the hate went a little bit far on him, and you could often get him in around round 15 of your best ball drafts or even redraft. But Tyler Higby, because like you say, he's part of an explosive offense, he's always going to be somebody who he might dud some weeks because of the number of weapons around him, but he's a good shot to just get a touchdown. And once you get past the first sort of five or six tight ends, when it comes to fantasy – If you're scoring touchdowns regularly, then you're doing a lot better than a lot of other tight ends. So I quite like Higby. I feel like, you know, he's never going to give you those elite ceilings, but he's definitely somebody that is a cheap option to pick up in fantasy. And it'll be interesting to see how he plays tonight. Obviously, we've got Dawson Knox on the other side of things. who just signed a big extension. And he was somebody who I can't remember off the top of my head, but sort of like 50 to 60 catches that made his real fantasy worth by scoring a lot of touchdowns last year. So now that we've got the Gabe Davis breakout season incoming, if you listen to some people, or perhaps we see Isaiah McKenzie more, is Dawson Knox going to be able to sustain that fantasy usage and keep getting touchdowns? Or is he going to have to catch the ball more regularly to make up for it?
0: Yeah. And he, I had him last year and I think I remember one game specifically, it was a Sunday night or Monday night. I guess I don't remember it specifically, but one of those nights he had two or three catches and it was two or three touch. I think all of his catches were touchdowns, <laughs> something crazy where you'll take the touchdowns, but um, I don't know if you can get that kind of touchdown rate uh, consistently moving forward, but he'll still be involved. Just got a big contract uh, extension yesterday, I believe. So they're expecting him to be around for a while and, and be a part of that offense. Um and this one, from a betting perspective, we're looking. Buffalo is favored by two points. Uh, at least last I checked, it's a fifty-one and a half point total. Uh, you mentioned the, the top defenses. These are two of our top three teams overall in football outsiders. Our projections: top six offensive projections and top five in defense. So really, two of the best of the best. I mentioned potential Super Bowl preview. For some reason, I wanted to take the Rams, but I think I'm going to have to go with Buffalo. Again, they're the favorites but they still have a lot to prove after that gut-wrenching playoff loss. They don't have Tredavious White, which does hurt against uh, the defending champs going up against Cooper Cup. Allen Robinson, Matt Stafford is said to be back to 100% uh, after a six-month recovery from his off-season uh, elbows kind of procedure. I think it was a non-surgical procedure. It was just kind of coming out today. Um, but I think Josh Allen just has a, you know the start of an MVP campaign tonight. That's enough to get them over the top. I also think – like last year, we had a high-scoring game in that first game of the the season between Cowboys and Bucks. I think the over go, the the over hits despite two top-level defenses in this one.
1: Uh, definitely, I'd push towards the over. It just feels like teams quite often come out of the game hot, the gate hot and they really want to make a statement. But I'd lean just slightly towards the Rams. I feel like Sean McVay is one of those managers that if you give if you give him a period to really build up to a game, he seems to be at a scheme things. And I'm really quite interested to see how he uses those. You know, it's very easy to just say Cooper Cup's gonna have a good night, but I'm interested to see how he uses those players like Ben Skrownik and Tutu Atwell, as well as the running backs. So yeah, I mean Kyron Williams, somebody who they've talked up a lot lately. So all those little additional pieces that might actually really make or break the slate. I'm very excited to see what Sean
0: McVeigh does with them. And one last question I've got, uh, we're talking about fantasy. You mentioned running backs, uh, Kyron Williams there, for the Bills. The Rams were very good against the run last year. Devin Singletary is a guy that was pretty much a workhorse down the stretch, was awesome. But they drafted James Cook. They still have um, Oh, I'm Zach, Moss. The blank. <laughs> Zach Moss, yes. <laughs> Completely drew <laughs> a blank there. We're looking at getting J.D. McKissick until he changes his mind to stay with Washington. Do you like Devin Singletary tonight? In this game? Do you think he's going to get enough work there?
1: Yeah, I think it's tricky because, like, from a fantasy perspective, when you've got three running backs that they seem intent on using, in, it just becomes a little muddled. But Devin Singletree was hands down better than Zach Moss through the stretch period of last year. And James Cook, there's plenty of positive reports about him. You know, we've seen reports that he's been lining up with wide receivers at times. But when the games actually start, quite often you see head coaches kind of just... Just go back into the shell a little and just bring back that usage and just ease the rookies in. And part of me is really interested to see how the Bills approached the running back position this year, because we saw time and time again, I think it was in 2020 when the Bills went out of the playoffs, Sean McDermott and the GM at the time talked about how they needed a better running game. And then they made no upgrades. They just continued with Devin Singletary and Zach Moss. And then last year there was a couple of points where Sean McDermott talked about wanting to run the ball more. So is that something we're going to see? And then all these kind of mad hopes we have for for Isaiah McKenzie and Gabe Davis are going to be dashed because the Bills just actually put a slightly more emphasis on running the ball, and these depth pieces in their pass catching corps just aren't as as fantasy relevant as we'd like.
0: Definitely a good problem to have when you for, for both of these teams when you've got a ton of options, both in the passing game and the running game. So that's the big one tonight, kicking off the season again. Buffalo at LA Rams, defending champs against the Super Bowl favorites. Moving on to the Sunday slate, starting with Indianapolis, who is a seven-point favorite at Houston Texans. The total in this game is 46 points. Now, last time we saw Indy, it was a big letdown in Week 18 against Jacksonville last year. They missed the playoffs because of that game, or in part, uh, partly due to that game. Brought in Matt Ryan to make a championship run, hoping that he can can bring everything together. They've got a pretty good defense. There aren't, they aren't really projected as well in our numbers, but we know they've got the pieces there to have a good defense. Um, an interesting note here, all four AFC South teams are projected in the bottom 11 in DVOA. Indy is the highest and the favorite there. They won these games 31 to 3 and 31 to nothing last year. Um, wouldn't be surprised to see Indy kind of kind of blow this one out again. Um, they're tied for the biggest favorite of the week. Last I checked again, it's seven points. LA and Indianapolis to cover here. Uh, that Houston team will be better. Davis Mills showed some flashes. Um, he was really good outside the pocket uh, from the Almanac this year. Uh, if you don't have one, uh, you still have a chance to get it with FO+. Plus Again, at 10% off. But uh, I forget who it was that wrote that chapter, but mentioned Davis Mills was one of the rare quarterbacks that was better outside the pocket than he was within the pocket. Um, so, he, again, showed some flashes. But I think I don't think this one's really going to be particularly close. I like the under with Indy scoring most of the points in this game again. Like that, maybe not thirty-one 31 nothing. What do you see in this one, or what are you looking forward here?
1: Yeah, I mean, so last year this was kind of one of those fixtures that Jonathan Taylor just blew teams away, and so in the two games where he took on the Texans, he scored over fifty-three PPR points, which you know that's. Weak winning performances in fantasy. Yeah. And I think Jonathan Taylor, if you're playing cash games on DFS this week, is a very easy player to just slot in and not have to worry about it. Uh, I think on the other side of the ball, Damian Pierce is somebody who took a lot of camp hype. And as they kind of, you know, they didn't cut Marlon Mack just once, they cut him twice after he'd re signed <laughs> to the practice squad. I'm not sure if Royce Freeman's still there on the practice squad, but it's basically just Damian Pierce and Rex Burkhead. And Damian Pierce isn't the kind of like three down runner like Jonathan Taylor necessarily. But what he is, is he's very good in short yardage. So anytime around the goal, they'll have complete faith in him in that situation. And he also holds his own in pass protection, which is going to keep him on the field more. So he's 4,800 on DraftKings this week. And I wouldn't be surprised to see a lot of people play him, even though the match isn't necessarily the friendliest for the Texans if they get behind. But I I'm high on the Texans this year. I think, you know, you look at what they've surrounded Davis Mills with. Brevin Jordan and Nico Collins both flashed at times next, last year and could make good, solid jumps. I think it's if the Texans can kind of keep it close-ish through the first half, then we could have a really interesting game. And one, one line that stood out to me looking at the bang was Naeem Hines, who consistently through camp, you heard them talking of how much they wanted to use him in the passing game, how much they were going to play him out wide. How they felt like last year they really didn't use him well enough. And his receiving line set at 21.5 yards at the minute, and I would really expect him to hit the over there.
0: Yeah, you mentioned it's going to be a big, big Jonathan Taylor game for sure. Um, Naeem Hines, a good play there, at least in the receiving game. What about, imagine you're starting Pittman, he's the number one receiver here, you know, it's going to start 0-0, so they're going to throw the ball, they're going to have to throw the ball, so at least they will. Mo Alley-Cox could find the end zone, but it, again, overall it seems just like a heavy run game for Indy to start the year, Is that, does that push Michael Pittman down your board a little bit this week, or do you still think he can be uh, a wider, a finish as a wide receiver one in week one?
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm I'm all aboard the Pittman hype. I think he's a difficult player to play in if you're playing on daily fantasy tournaments where you're really trying to imagine the ceiling outcome. It's quite hard to see Pittman racking up maybe 30 points this week, which would be what you might need to win an overall tournament. But it's kind of easy to tell yourself a tale where Michael Pittman racks up between 15 to 20 points, and he's kind of underpriced at the minute. He's 5500 which is just a smidge over 10% of your total salary that you've got to play with. And I think particularly if you're playing in cash games, double-ups, head-to-heads, he's a player I'd be more than happy roster in those.
0: So that's Indy at Houston. We'll spend – there's really – you know, we spent a little bit of time. There's not too much more really on that game. We don't really think that's going to be – again, you said a little high on Houston, but um, I don't think this one's going to be as close. It may be. Uh, but that's India at Houston, seven-point favorites and a 46-point total. Moving on to another 1 o'clock game, Jacksonville, two-and-a-half-point underdogs at Washington, 44-point total, getting on that lower end this week. Jacksonville has the potential for a bounce-back campaign with Doug Peterson now, and really more so that Urban Meyer is not in the picture. I think is as big of a reason for them to bounce back this year. Carson Wentz, on the other hand, for Washington, moves on to his third team after being traded to Washington. But their defense should bounce back uh, this year. They were really bad on third and fourth down in the past game. Both teams are still projected among the bottom five in the league, though. I like Jacksonville actually to cover in this one and to win. I know some of the FO guys, a handful of those guys, especially Aaron, said, you know, an eight, nine win game, I think, for Jacksonville is not out of the picture. And there's some good fantasy, some, I guess, maybe sneaky fantasy goodness for them this week and really this whole season.
1: Yeah and I think it's going to be very interesting how the Commanders start because obviously the unfortunate incident around Brian Robinson getting shot it's opened up a path for Antonio Gibson to be fantasy relevant again and to see more touches and I think his biggest issue is his, himself really now last year he fumbled the ball six times in a season which that's you know coaches just don't like that Ron Rivera he's an old school coach he doesn't want to see his running back putting the ball on the ground and up until, I think he fumbled in the
0: first preseason game this year too, didn't
1: he? He did, yeah. And it's just one of those, like, you need to be yeah, keep hold of the ball if you really want to make most of these opportunities. We saw the commanders were aggressive bringing back J.D. McKissick when he was about to sign for the Bills. So he can't be on that long leash, but he is going to have opportunities to try and run the ball early on. And on the other side of the game, it'll be really interesting to see how much – James Robinson plays like eight and a half months after tearing his Achilles. Doug Peterson said he's not going to be limited. He's not going to be on a pitch count. And he's somebody who personally, if I can avoid it in fantasy, I'm not starting James Robinson this week in daily fantasy. Neither of running backs on either side of the ball, particularly appeal. I'd much rather play Christian Kirk, who's 5,100. And you look at him, he was a priority wide receiver signing for them in free agency. And all the reports have been really good. It just seems like Trevor Lawrence is going to come out feeling much more comfortable this year. And if they're going to have success through the passing game against this defense, which we've talked about being really bad on third and fourth downs, then it's most likely to run through Christian Kirk. I'm not going to talk myself into playing Evan Ingram.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah Christian Kirk is a guy that I targeted uh, pretty aggressively in my drafts. especially In those middle rounds, I just think he's got the potential to really – I guess he broke out last year, but to do even more, he only scored. I think it was five touchdowns last year. He had like eight red zone targets. The Cardinals were one of the top ten in rush rate, uh, or uh, yeah, rush rate in the red zone. So I think you know this is a good good place to start for him, especially uh, you mentioned in your article as well. Uh, Chase Young is out for at least the first four games. On the other side, though, Jacksonville had the second worst pass defense DVOA last year. They did add Darius Williams, a corner, Super Bowl champion cornerback from the Rams. Um, but on that side, for the Commanders receiving, we know Terry McLaurin is, is the number one there. Jahan Dotson is a guy that I like in Washington. I target him as well. Think he has some upside this week and all season long. How do you feel about him this week as that number two? But really, it seems like he's going to have a, a pretty strong um, strong role in this offense. Yeah,
1: it was it's it was kind of a strange you know off because a lot of the time these rookies who come in. If they've got first round draft capital, fantasy managers were all over them. But Johan Dotson sounded like he did well in camp. He did what he needed to do. He impressed enough, but he never really got that steam. So he was always available in like that kind of 11, 12th round in fantasy drafts and best ball drafts. He's priced very well this week. He's only 3400 which, if you're looking for a bargain player to open up some place, you can play the likes of Jonathan Taylor, Christian McCaffrey, Alvin Kamara at the top, then he's. Definitely the kind of player that you're going to need to look towards. It's more, personally, I just feel like this game could develop into a little bit of a slog. But if I was going to play somebody, perhaps pairing Jahan Dotton and Christian Kirk is a nice little correlation would be a good way to access some points within this game.
0: Yeah. And this one, like we said, has just a 44 point total. There are a handful of games that are actually lower than this one. Um, one of them coming up next, but uh, as far as the spread again, Jacksonville two and a half point underdogs. I like Jacksonville to cover and win in this one in week one, uh, the Washington defense we mentioned a couple times should be better, but still I like Trevor Lawrence and that new staff to be uh, much more prepared than they were last year under Urban Meyer and to get the win. So Again, yeah, I mentioned this next game has one of the lowest totals of the week. It actually is the lowest total of the week. Last us all. San Francisco, seven-point favorites at Chicago. I believe these – I think they played last year. and That's when uh, Justin Fields had that kind of crazy run from one side of the field to the other, ended up scoring. Um, so they meet up again, and this time Trey Lance gets his first start as QB1 in San Francisco taking over for Garoppolo this year, although they are keeping him. But Fields, a sophomore year with a new coaching staff, expecting a little bit more from Fields, so he doesn't really have many receiving options. These defenses are projected to be better than the offenses. What are you looking for, for offensively in this game? I know we, you and I, before we jumped on here, we're talking about Trey Lance and Brandon Ayuk. because that's something that you're kind of targeting uh, this week?
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I'm a big Trey Lance truther. I felt like last year it was disappointing to see you know Jimmy G at the time holding it down, and now we hear about the fact that Trey Lance actually had an injured finger, and that might have contributed to why he was never able to push Jimmy G further to get on the field. But it just feels like this is we're about to see two two quarterbacks who could either become absolute elite talents within this league because of their dual threat ability, or they could wash out of the league within another year. And as Brandon and I, you, kids like we were like we was chatting. They've got that kind of friend narrative that Cooper Cup and Matthew Stafford had last year, and it might be a bit of a reach to imagine Brendan IU going for the triple crown of receiving yards, touchdowns, and all that. But he could easily be a value still, and I think you can stack up the pair of them for less than 25% of your total salary on DraftKings this week. So it becomes very intriguing the low over under is a bit dis- disappointing. Like it's very easy to see this game just not being overly competitive. Like the Niners defense is so imposing, particularly with a pass rush of Nick Bosa and Javon Kinlaw and Eric Armstead. And the Bears O-line is so pathetic. It that <laughs> it's just easy to see this image of Nick Bosa and the guys just crashing through and fields just under pressure constantly that i imagine they're going to struggle to get their ground game going. So I don't think it's a week where you can look at playing David Montgomery or Khalil Herbert. I think really it's it'll be easier to play players from the Niners if George Kittle does miss out. I think you say he's got a hamstring injury, which is looking a little iffy for his game time availability. If that is the case, I'll be playing a lot of Brandon Ayuk and Trey Lance. If George Kittle is there, it might be a game where... Perhaps I considered just playing Trey Lance on his own and just hoping that he racks up a lot of
0: yards on the ground. Yeah, and uh, Brandon Ayuk, we're big fans. That was someone who I targeted season long I'm um, more kind of season in that department. Him and, and Christian Kirk are kind of two that I'm, I'm debating on this year So it's or this, for this week. So it sounds like either of those are good plays. I just got to try and pick the right one. Um, We'll see if that happens, though. I I tend to not pick the the right one. But as far as the the betting angle on this, you know, we mentioned lots of uncertainty around Lance. I think he's going to have a pretty big year. You said you're a Lance Truth as well, but there is still that that degree of uncertainty there. We saw the flashes from Fields last year. I do think um, the Bears are able to keep this at least close for a little bit. Um, The defense, uh, again, both defenses are projected to be better than the offenses. Uh, I think they cover – Uh, But San Francisco, I still think, is going to win this one outright. It actually comes in Chicago to cover. Uh, We have the projected line at only four and a half points. That makes the Bears to cover our third highest confidence pick of the week. Uh, For those of you out there watching, you can actually get all of our NFL picks uh, in order by confidence. See our projected line. See our straight up picks as well as along with confidence. And for every week with an FO plus subscription, you can sign up uh, at footballoutsiders.com slash subscribe. Again, today is the last day to get 10% off there. You can get all these picks, and that is one that we're pretty confident in. Um, And I'll kind of side the same way with Chicago to cover, but San Francisco to win. Sounds like you're on San Francisco to win as well, perhaps even to cover maybe, or would you think it's going to be um, low scoring and close?
1: I think we're probably looking at low scoring and close, but that might not tell the whole story that I feel like, you know, the Niners are going to feel fairly comfortable and just run the ball out and run time down and the Bears will push it a little bit closer. But it's uh, it might not be a pretty game.
0: <laughs> Probably not, especially in Chicago. They've had uh, some not-so-good things said about their field. I think, it, I think it was them earlier in the preseason that had a, yeah. a concert. The field was just absolutely torn up. So hopefully no injuries. I know we've seen that a handful of times at different places with bad playing surfaces, but hope for the best there. Hope for more scoring, but it, it may not come. <laughs> So we'll move on Uh, again, another one o'clock. This is a big one, not really a great game in and of itself, a low total of 42 points, but the, the Baker Mayfield revenge game, Cleveland is one and a half point underdog against Carolina. So Baker is the favorite just slightly. I think this is the closest or the, this is the lowest spread of the week. I believe at one and a half, one, one and a half. I think I've seen a couple places Baker obviously won the starting job over Sam Darnold and faces his old team who, the Cleveland defense is projected to finish twelfth, but I think they I think they finish higher than that. Has the potential? They have a lot of young players. You know, Miles Garrett, Denzel Ward, Greedy Williams, uh, Jeremiah Owusu, Koromoa, I Believe I said that right? Um, as going into his second year, uh, just athletic freak. Um, I personally, in the betting department, I like the Browns to cover in a low-scoring game. Um, Maybe sneak out a win, but this could be like a one-point game with the under hitting. I, I honestly don't see a ton of scoring. Carolina's got a, a pretty good defense too. They've got some really young, good players over there. Um, Jeremy Chin, and um, again, I'm drawing a blank. The cornerback from South Carolina that's that's back this year had the injury last J.C. year. JC Horn. JC Horn. Yeah, I can't can't remember my names today. But again, another game. Maybe not a lot of scoring here. Um, what about the fantasy side? McCaffrey is healthy went number one overall in some drafts number two say if he's healthy he can win you the league um I I mean you're starting him as long as he's healthy no matter what
1: McCaffrey's ceiling is just so much higher than any other player including Jonathan Taylor when he's healthy because of the damage he can do in the passing game I mean he he's really truly elite in both passing and rushing the ball and obviously we haven't seen that much lately but if he's remotely healthy, then you've got to go for it. I mean, I saw today that he's been on the injury report with a minor shin injury, but... Yeah, I think he got cut by a
0: cleat I saw just before we jumped on here or something.
1: But yeah, so it's not something really to worry about. I think, for me, it's... I'd love to see DJ Moore come out firing. He's somebody who you just feel like you want to see those touchdowns early. Like, you know, he's been in the league for a few years and he's been in four seasons and he's only got 14 touchdowns in total. And I'd love to see a natural connection between him and him and Baker Mayfield early. DJ Moore's $6,000 on DraftKings this week, which is really playable, but it's not overly appealing because like you say, it's a low over-under. And I think you kind of, even if Baker Mayfield can get cooking, how much can Jacoby Brissett get going? Like We saw him start five games last year for the Dolphins, and he was really... It was like one end of fantasy relevant to not being at all. He had three of the five games where he averaged over 20 fantasy points, which was great, but he averaged 8.5 fantasy points in the other two. So it's really difficult (laughs) to know what we're in for. Yeah. And he's just... He's not the kind of quarterback that if a game is sort of struggling, you think he can really blow it wide open because, I mean, through three seasons in the NFL ways of meaningful time, he's always averaged like 6.3 yards per attempt, which is right around the Big Ben 2021 area. So it's a tricky game to get involved for fantasy, but DJ Moore is somebody I would play. I'd have complete confidence playing him. I think we are going to see a really good season for him. And if you yeah. believe in... If you believe in DJ Moore can get there, then Kareem Hunt on the other side of the ball is probably somebody who I would also be looking to play as a contrarian tournament playing in DFS. But yeah, it's, it's not a
0: great one. Yeah. So on the Brown side, I know D, uh, David Njoku is a big sleeper pick. I ended up with him um, in a, in a league, a season long league. He has one top 10 uh, campaign on his resume. It's been a few years. I think it was uh, 2019 um, the big thing with him has always been getting the playing time. Austin Hooper's gone. Harrison Bryant is still there, and I think he'll have um, he will have some role. But Njoku looks like he's finally going to be the guy going to get you know most of the snaps. He got a, a ton of the snaps in preseason. Is he someone that you think is a good play this week against Carolina? We mentioned um, you know they've got some good pieces, but still. They're not projected super high defensively this year. That's really all we have to go off is our projections this year. Last year they started off well and then the whole team kind of fell off down the stretch. But that's one I think a lot of people have questions about or that are really putting a lot of stock into for the season.
1: Yeah, I'd be completely fine playing David Njoku. I mean, he's 3,900 on DraftKings, which is quite a nice tier if you're not going to pay up of a position and if you're not going to completely put an off position with a player who we can get to later – at the bare minimum, 3,900 really opens up a lot of top plays. I mean, they paid him a huge amount of money for a yeah. tight end who hasn't really produced massive numbers over his career. Yeah. So you've got to believe they believe in him now with Austin Hooper out of there. Yeah, I'd be fine playing him. I would worry about what his kind of ceiling outcome is. But at that cost on DraftKings, you're really looking for, say, 440 and a touchdown would be plenty of points for you.
0: Yeah. He asked for a trade at one point, I think it was last yeah. year, and they said, no, you know, we're hanging on to you. And then they gave him money. So it uh, could be in for a big year season long um, and perhaps a, a decent play in DFS this week as well. Moving on to another game. This is, is a, a pretty hyped game for for who it is uh, for Detroit, Philadelphia, four point favorites at Detroit. 48 and a half points is the total. This is a standing room only. It's the first standing room only non-Thanksgiving Day game for Detroit since 2017. Uh, I Personally, I thought they were pretty fun to watch last year. They fought pretty hard, and Dan Campbell was aggressive all season long. It was great to see. He stuck with it all year long, uh, helped win them a game. Uh, I think it was their first game, actually, against Minnesota. They went for it in their own territory late didn't get it. Minnesota scored quickly, though, because they didn't have far to go, and then we know they scored on the last play of the game. So it could actually be, a, I guess, a sneaky fun game. Again, that total almost at 50 points. Um, Detroit should be a better team this year as well, but Philly is our top, one of our top projected teams at FO. They're only uh, they're projected sixth in DVOA, but due to the schedule, they're projected for the most wins, tied for the most with Buffalo at 10.6 mean wins. So a lot is expected from this Philly team, both offensively and defensively. The implied to- team total for Philly is around 26 points. Personally, I think they exceed this amount. I think they cover against Detroit. I don't really see this being too close. Um, And I think the total goes over late in the game. I know we saw uh, Detroit late in week one last year getting blown out by San Francisco. They came back and ended up losing by eight, I think, and uh, covering the spread there. But I just think Philly is going to be, you know, have a big year this year. Now Aaron picked them as his Super Bowl picks. And they're projected to be a pretty good team this year.
1: Yeah, I think, going back to what you said briefly there about the Lions, they were really unlucky at times last year. It was so many close games.
0: I mean, Just record like, field goal.
1: <laughs> that's what it took to beat them. Otherwise, you know, their record would have looked in slightly better. They were really unlucky and I think they're a team who a lot of people are adopting as like their second team this year because they've got the heart and the soul. We saw it on hard knocks. They're a fun team to root for. And, you know, they've got real strengths on offense. Like, it was a little unfortunate that their starting right guard. Uh, Vitae went to IR this week, which is a big loss. But like the o lines such a strong position for them but I feel like they should be, over, be able to overcome it. And when Jared Goff's comfortable behind the O-line, he's been good at times. So I'm kind of sneaky high on the Lions. I feel like I'm expecting a good season out of TJ Hawkinson, who was on for a career year in loads of metrics last year before the injury derailed it. We've all seen what Eamon Rossing-Brown can do. And on the Eagles side of it, I absolutely love Jalen Hurts and AJ Brown this week. That's my stack of the week for DFS. I would be happy to play that in all forms of tournaments there. And it's very cheap one. It only takes up 26% of your total salary for your DFS lineup. And really, I'd love it if this game exploded into an all-out shootout. It'd be a lot of fun. But... It'd be interesting because the Eagles' defense definitely feels a lot better than the Lions' defense. So mm-hmm. maybe we don't quite get the full shootout. But like you, I'm expecting the Eagles to come out on top.
0: Yeah, the, the A.J. Brown and Jalen Hurts, uh, it's one of those kind of best buddies uh, storylines that we had with Cup and now with uh, Brandon Ayuk and Trey Lance there. Um could be a big game. I, mean, I feel like you're starting just about – especially season long. I guess more specifically season long. Your Hurts, A.J. Brown, Dallas Goddard, even Devontae Smith, I think could have a, a big game. You mentioned on the other side, Amon Ross, St. Brown. So he – a lot of – he got, you know, that sh- crazy stretch uh, down the the back stretch of the season. Um, huge production. But you mentioned that oh, T.J. Hawkinson was out, and that's when he got really kind of exploded and got a lot of his work. Do you expect – a big workload, maybe not that much, but a big workload to carry forward for him with Hawkinson back in the fold, DeAndre Swift now having DJ Shark um, and the Jameson Williams coming back at some point, or are, are is the hype on him a little too much this year? You think? I think I think
1: it's possible for both players to get there. I think you know TJ Hawkinson saw a lot of targets last year that were deeper down the field than he'd previously seen, so they were they were making use of him, and obviously him and Emma Ross and Brown didn't really overlap. huge amount but I think it's possible for both players to get there simply because of the way that Jared Goff likes to play the ball I mean we often say oh there's only so many ties to go around near the line scrimmage but like there's no reason that both Hawkinson and Eamon Rasane Brown can't be playing reasonably close whilst you've got your field stretcher in Josh Reynolds and DJ Chark who seems to be doing okay through camp before Jameson Williams comes back. So I'm quite fine playing Aimon St. Brown. He's a little bit pricey for me on DraftKings this week. He's 6100, but on regular fantasy matchups I you know, you've just got to slot him in and uh, expect him to pick up where he left off.
0: Yeah, and he he is one of those guys um Jared Goff, I think it was a few weeks ago, said, you know, when things break down and we need to play, he is looking for Amon Ross St. Brown. So that yeah. is kind of a plus in his favor. And again, Hawkinson's still there. So you got a couple kind of go-to guys, which is always good to have. Moving on to our next game is New England Patriots, plus three and a half at Miami. This one's got a 46 and a half point total. So right around the middle of the pack this week. Um, AFC East matchup to start the season. Big storyline Tyreek Hill's first game with Miami. Mac Jones coming out for his sophomore encore after a very good rookie year. Both teams only projected around the middle of the pack in offense, bottom eight in defense. Um, Miami won both games last year. Uh, I mean, fantasy-wise, you know, New England, they they got Devontae Parker. Um, Jacoby Myers is still there, doesn't score a lot of touchdowns. On the other side, Tyreek Hill obviously could, go, could take any ball to the house and get you a touchdown. Jalen Waddell, it sounds like he's he's uh, trending towards playing. He's been kind of banged up a little bit. Who are kind of your biggest plays in this game uh, from a DFS perspective?
1: Yeah, I think, like you said, Tyreek Hill is the one that stands out. So he's 6,800 a minute on DraftKings. And in his days in Kansas City, you could have seen him – Uh, the sort of 9,000 upwards range. So we're getting a real discount because of the situation he finds himself in and the uncertainty around Tyreek and Tua and how that's going to go. And it feels like Tua's always got something to prove. Even when he's got players on side, he still doesn't seem to have the owners backing like we heard this year about how they wanted Tom Brady. So Tyreek Hill is somebody I'll probably play a little of just because he's so cheap that... He could easily put up 20 points and then he's giving you a real, really great performance based on his cost. Jalen Waddell, it does sound like these kind of nagging soft tissue injuries might just might hamper him a little. And then on the Patriots side, there's just so many question marks like who's calling the plays, which running back's <laughs> gonna see the biggest amount of touches and the highest value ones. Cause even if Ramondre Stevenson's seeing more, is he getting the goal line work? Um, you know, what's the wide receiver rotation look like? Because there were reports through camp that Nelson Aguilar and Kendrick Bourne weren't particularly impressive. It's a Devante Parker revenge game. He spent seven seasons in Miami. Like, is that worth playing? It's a little thin for me in this game. But then also we've heard that Jonu Smith is really impressed. So if he rebounds from a really poor season last year... Is that going to be into Hunter Henry's production and just make this whole team just completely not worth playing in fantasy? So generally speaking, I probably won't play very much in this game. Tua, t- Tua definitely not somebody I want to be playing until I start to see it. But Tyreek is fine. Definitely at his price is 6800
0: Yeah, Yeah, he, like I said, could take any... Any catch to the house, basically. Um, but as a deep threat, too, you know, Tua, there's obviously a ton of questions around what kind of quarterback he can be. He actually led the league in deep ball completion percentage last year. Um, another note from the, the football outsiders Almanac. But he didn't have a lot. So is that just a product of a small sample size? Um, or is he good? And over a larger sample size, he will still be very good at the deep ball. So that's something that we'll kind of wait and see uh, or have to take a wait and see approach and see what happens there. But, again, like you said, I, I'm expecting a big game from Tyree Kill in his first game in Miami. It's at home. New England's coming in as three-and-a-half-point underdogs. I mentioned the Dolphins won both games last season. One of them was a one-point victory on the opening Sunday. I think it was a Damian Harris fumble late as they were driving uh, down to potentially take the lead um, for exactly that scenario, is, scenario was. But I like this one to be close. Again, our projected line is Miami minus three. Um I like New England to cover, Miami to win. So maybe, you know, a, a, a go-ahead field goal, um, you know, ha- a couple points or something, or just to keep it close uh, in this one. I think they're fairly evenly matched for the most part. Um, what do you think?
1: I, I think it's it's a game that's tricky because, you know, Bill Belichick has had the number of Miami Dolphins numerous times. But, like say, Miami actually got better last year. Obviously, there's a new coach in Miami as well so Mike McDaniel how is he going to make this work is it going to look reminiscent of the 49ers at times or is he going to come out and surprise us with something different so it's a game personally I'll leave it it just feels like one which it might be quite interesting to watch the game in 40 back but that's about it for me
0: so that again is New England three and a half point dogs at Miami with a 46 and a half point total Next game is a big one, big rivalry between the Saints and Falcons. New Orleans, five-and-a-half-point favorites going into Atlanta, just a a 42-and-a-half-point total in this one. The Saints really have Super Bowl aspirations, The second-best projected defense by our numbers. Average offense, but they have a lot of room to exceed that projection. A big comeback year from Jameis, a healthy Michael Thomas. Kamara likely won't be suspended, uh, we've heard, until next year. Probably things could change there, but it's looking like next year. They've got Chris Olave down there um Jarvis Landry a lot of people aren't talking about the Falcons on the other hand not really expected to compete they finished last year with just seven wins they were the worst seven win team in DVOA history last year so Matt Ryan kept them in games kind of willed them to victory they signed Mariota to replace him but also drafted Desmond Ritter uh for my alma mater St. Xavier High School here in Louisville so that's pretty exciting on a personal level but he showed some flashes in the preseason I think um, we may see them both get into games at times, but it seems like it's mostly going to be Mariota at least to start. So again, I mentioned Alave really hasn't had as much buzz this year as some of the other rookies, uh, and Jarvis Landry definitely hasn't. Michael Thomas looks to be healthy or good for Week One at least. Which of those wide receivers do you feel most comfortable inserting against an Atlanta team that is just not expected to be good?
1: Yeah, it's a really tricky one to be honest. And if you're looking to play the pass catching from either side of this, I think the right play would probably to be gambling on Michael Thomas being underpriced and undervalued and people being scared to see what he's capable of. At the minute, you can get him on DraftKings for 5,700 this week. And really you were always looking for about three times the value of the first two digits here. So if you call it 5.7, We're looking for him to have about a 15-point, 16-point week. And that's so easily in the range of outcomes for Michael Thomas. It's going to be interesting to see how he and Jameis Winston play. I saw a tweet earlier today saying the last time that Michael Thomas was on a football field, Todd Gurley was still a running back in the league. So it really kind of makes you realise how long it's been since we've seen him. And what does playing with James Winston do for Michael Thomas? Is it open up the root tree more so that we're not just seeing the whole slant boy moniker? So generally speaking, when it's a little bit surprising that this is the lowest under over under of the week, because these divisional games, sometimes they can just explode. And I know we're not necessarily expecting the Falcons to be great, but I, I kind of get drawn to these divisional games sometimes. And, it's, it's one which definitely there's a few players that are interesting. I mean, Marcus Mariota, we've not seen him really start a game for a couple of years. And what's that going to look like? You know, we don't expect the Falcons' O-line to be good. So is he going to be under pressure and rushing a lot? His over-under for the rushing yards is 28.5, which that's something that he's gone over in a third of his starts in the league. And obviously we haven't really seen him much lately that's not bad and his price tag at 5200 on DraftKings that really helps you open up some ceiling plays at wide receiver tight end running back in the rest of your lineup so I definitely have some intrigue in this and I really want to see Kyle Pitts come out strong like last year he scored one touchdown let's see him come out early doors even in a tough matchup and just moss some players score it one yeah. touchdown or even two and just break his own record
0: yeah, the target should definitely be there for him. It is a tough matchup. Uh, I mentioned New Orleans has the second-best defensive projection. They finished last year third, and they added the Honey Badger. They got Tyron Matthew in the fold now. Um, Targets will be there. It's just seeing what he can do. I, like you, I'd love to see him get a touchdown or two, have some big plays. And, and even Drake London, maybe I know he's um, going to kind of come down to the next couple of days, has been out with. I think it was a knee injury he suffered in the first preseason game. But he's a guy that I think, uh, could be sneaky this week as well, as much as they're going to have to throw, it seems. But from a betting perspective, um, again, this one, New Orleans five and a half. I don't really see them having any trouble covering and going over their implied total of 24 points against what is last season's 30th ranked defense. And their Atlanta's only projected 31st. So they're they're not really projected to, to finish any better this year. Um, so I don't really see any trouble with them covering in this game it is on the road it's a divisional game like you said sometimes those are a little tougher but I don't see it happening in this one
1: no and I'm I'm firmly in the same opinion I do have a sneaky feeling that it's going to go over the over under of 42 I feel like there could just be points that we're not expecting here and I do quite like Alvin Kamara in this game I think particularly if you're playing DFS tournaments he's somebody who people might be a little bit scared off. He's priced at 7,600, so he's kind of in this range where you're not very top tier, and sometimes when that happens, people just stay away from you completely. So I'd expect his ownership to not be too high, but we know he has the ceiling outcome where he can completely break a slate and win you matchups. So, yeah, I'd probably play a sprinkling of Alvin Kamara, perhaps pairing him with Kyle Pitts and seeing how that works out.
0: Yeah, I think Camara was running back six overall. I believe in six full games with Winston last year. Averaged, uh, I remember that like twenty over twenty-two touches, five and a half catches, something like that. Just was still produced, still produced. Alvin Camara like numbers, so a good play there, and uh, it looks to be a good start to the season for the Saints. Moving on, another divisional game, Pittsburgh, six-and-a-half-point underdogs at Cincinnati, 44-and-a-half-point total in this one. The Super Bowl runners-up begin their AFC title defense with the rival Steelers. Joe Burrow says he's 100% from his preseason appendectomy. We'll see on the other side Mitch Trubisky making his first start for Pittsburgh after backing up Josh Allen for a year in Buffalo last year. Pittsburgh now has our top projected defense, but they've got a tough matchup against what we know is an explosive Bengals offense with a much improved offensive line. Joe Mixon is a guy that I have as a keeper in a league. Um, it was late second round, one of the last picks of the second round. So uh, not bad with our keepers. He would have been gone. How do you see him playing, though? He doesn't really play third downs. Catches passes, but not a ton. But that offensive line is just so much better. But he's going up against a tough Pittsburgh defense.
1: Yeah, and it's it's the side of the ball, which it hasn't really – had a lot of interest this year. Like People are so preoccupied talking about the passing game and Joe Burrow and whether they're going to be able to come out firing like they did last year. Joe is approaching that kind of age for running backs where we do start to see a little bit of a fall off. Early on in the off-season, the team kept typing up Chris Evans, really believing that they had something in him and he could have eaten into a Mixon's workload. But then... Chris Evans hasn't grabbed the bull by the horns during training camp, and apparently the team were a little bit disappointed in him. Smaggy P. Ryan's still hanging around. It's very difficult to see Mixon really ever make that jump into the top five running backs, but just through volume alone, he should be able to get there and stay relevant. Like yourself, I had a Bengals keeper slot this year. I had Jamar Chase, who was in the fifth round of my draft, so that set me up nicely in my home league. But like, And I know a lot of people expect the Bengals to come out firing like they did down the stretch, but the Steelers games really weren't like that for the Bengals last Mm -hmm. year. Joe Burrow in the two games against them averaged 180 passing yards against them. So he hasn't done it against the Steelers yet. That defense is going to be really tough. So it becomes very difficult to kind of project this one for fantasy explosions. And maybe it's a kind of week where the contrarian play is to play this and it helps you win a tournament because nobody's doing it. But it's just not a game I really want to be involved in. I have a feeling that the Steelers are going to try and slow the game down. And that's not an environment I want to be playing a lot of players in.
0: Yeah, and how are you going about that Pittsburgh offense? It, you, you know, maybe not even for this week, but in general, you know, they've got Deontay Johnson. Chase Claypool is in line for a big bounce back here. George Pickens is the big name. They've got Pat Fryermuth and then Najee Harris, who's – dealing with a little bit of an injury, but still, if he's healthy, going to get the workload. How are you going about that offense, I guess for the year, or at least in the early going with Trubisky, is it just kind of a wait and see approach how he does? Um, or are there guys that you're willing to start? I know you said you're kind of shying away from it, but is there a guy you're willing to start in his first game in Pittsburgh?
1: Yeah. So in, in the long best ball, some of it we've had uh, pretty heavily faded Najee Harris because It just doesn't feel like a fantasy environment. I wanted to be in on a running back. And then you heard about the Liz Frank injury, the bad O-line, the chance for whoever comes in at quarterback isn't going to dump the ball off to him like 19 times a game like Ben was doing. So Najee Harris is somebody who I really don't have much anywhere. So it's not a worry for me. It's not a, a matchup that I'll be targeting this weekend either. I feel like his price range, you can get... There's so much value around this weekend. It's easier to get to the top tier players or just fade and pay down. George Pickens, I feel like he's going to be somebody who has played a lot this weekend. He's $4,100 on DraftKings, which is very cheap. Anytime you get a wide receiver under the 5,000 mark, it's typically a real bargain. If there's somebody you think can blow open a slate, at that price, you probably want 40 to 50 yards and a touchdown from him and you'd be, you'd be feeling very happy. In terms of my fantasy matchups, I've got a lot of Deontay Johnson. I really like him as a player. I feel like he's perennially undervalued. And he's somebody who, now that we've got a quarterback who's not looking to throw the ball within like half a second (laughs) of the snap, we might start like we often saw Deontay Johnson catch the ball and immediately be in traffic. So I'm kind of bullish this year that we see his yards per catch increase because he'll be thrown into possibly slightly more favorable positions. The quarterback is, you know, it's just it's a real unknown. I mean, Mitch Trubisky rehabbed his image by not playing for a year, but how long do we see him before Kenny Pickett's in there? It's mm-hmm. it's tricky, but I do feel good about the skill position players, the pass catches, particularly for the Steelers. They're just they're good enough players that they should be able to do okay at times.
0: Yeah, Deontay Johnson is one of those guys kind of like a, a Tyreek Hill. I feel like he ca- caught a lot of passes over the middle and can can just take off with it. He's also can be a deep threat. You know, he's had some so it was kind of that deep guy um there in some of the games. So can do a little bit of everything, got the speed, can catch those those slants and take them for a while. So um He's kind of my favorite out of those as well. I do think Chase Claypool could have a big year again, go up like his rookie year. I think it was nine touchdowns, could kind of match that or exceed that this year as the number two guy with a a much better quarterback. Like you said, he's got the size and physicality to do well. So I I agree with you, but Deontay Johnson, Chase Claypool, both of those guys, I think could be good. Now, from a betting perspective in this one, we've got this uh, pretty close to that six-and-a-half-point line. I personally think Trubisky is able to move the ball with those several options in the passing game. Keep it close. But I think Cincinnati ultimately wins. May very well come down to another clutch kick from Evan McPherson. Uh, now, while we have the Steelers as a low-confidence spread pick, the Bengals are our third-highest confidence pick straight up. So we're really high on the Bengals to, to win this one um, straight up. Again, that those uh, picks are something you can get every week with an FO Plus subscription at footballoutsiders.com slash subscribe again. That FO plus is just 10 or is 10% off through tonight. So moving on to another uh, not really expected to be a close game um, like we have at that San Francisco game. And we probably won't spend too much time on this one. Baltimore going in as seven point favorites to New York to or New Jersey I guess to face the New York Jets just a 44 and a half point total on this one. Baltimore's got our second-highest projected DVOA for the season. They're 12th in offense, 8th in defense, could really exceed that 12th-ranked offensive projection, getting several guys back from their historic season of injuries last year. Lamar in a contract year, as long as they don't agree to something in the next couple days, he'll be playing in a contract year. Um, it was noted in the, the FO Almanac, he has struggled in some of the advanced passing statistics since his MVP campaign, but he's got a really good matchup against the Jets in week one. Uh, Joe or The Jets, on the other hand, are starting. Joe Flacco will be making the start against his old team. Zach Wilson recovering from a preseason the injury. But really, I don't think many people are expecting Baltimore to have much trouble with the Jets in week one. Could be a lot of fantasy goodness from uh, the Ravens. I think there's a couple guys you like in this one, right?
1: Yeah, and it's one of those where it's been quite interesting because early on in the offseason, everybody spent a lot of time saying, well, the Ravens aren't going to pass the ball like they did last year where Lamar Jackson passed 31 times a game, which was an increase of like five on his average from before that. But then we've got to the start of the season and you look at the running backs. I'm very sceptical of J.K. Dobbins' plays. It sounds like he's probably... And there's no reason for them to rush him out there. But you're looking, it's Mike Davis, Kenyon Drake and Justice Hill. That isn't going to be the running game the way that Greg Roman wants to run the ball. So instead, we are going to be looking possibly... a Ravens team which is still passing the ball heavily and on that side of things you've got Rashad Bateman who's had his first healthy offseason with the team and now he is the clear wide receiver one. The most interesting of the kind of plays for me is Isaiah Likely who's just 2,500 on DraftKings which is as cheapest as possible to play anyone from a skill position and if you play him at 2,500 you can really open up your lineup to play a lot more. During the offseason, during training camp and OTAs, I'm a Ravens fan. I follow the Ravens really closely. Every single day, Isaiah Likely was making big passes. And it wasn't just the team's media team who were putting out videos and stuff like that, hyping him up. All the players, Lamar Jackson, Mark Andrews, were talking him up. We saw it in some of the preseason games. So I'd be very tempted to play him. On the Jets side of the ball, I think the most interesting thing to note is. How well Elijah Moore played with Joe Flacco last year? The differences between the games where he played with uh, Zach Wilson were huge. So, in the two games that Elijah Moore played with Joe Flacco, his points jumped from ten point eight PPR points to twenty one point five. His yards jumped from uh where am I answering <laughs> His yards jumped from thirty nine point two two to ninety two point five. So. We really saw Joe Flacco have a real instant connection with Elijah Moore, so if the Ravens put the Jets in a position where they have to hurry up and they have to go pass heavy, then Elijah Moore could be very interesting and the other player, which I wouldn't mind in big, heavy Raven stacks playing the other side of it, is Michael Carter, who could see some third down receiving work in hurry-up situations.
0: Yeah. And you mentioned uh, Elijah Moore with Joe Flacco. And one of those games uh, was against the Dolphins who finished with a top 10 secondary. Elijah Moore went for eight, 141 and a touchdown. Uh, um, So you mentioned those two games just so much better with Flacco. One of those against a good, good secondary, which the Ravens should uh, have some of their second or most of their secondary pieces that they missed last year coming back. So could be a big game for Elijah Moore. I agree. Had had basically those stats down on my end as well. So Uh, especially expecting to get down, like you said, and if they have to to go quick and pass, he's going to get targeted pretty heavily, I think. With the the betting side of this one, the largest spread of the week at seven points. New York is projected top 10 in defense, but I think Baltimore comes out, puts on a show, puts up some points. I think they cover pretty easily in this one. The total, a little bit more difficult, you know, 44 and a half points. Um, It was harder for me to make a decision on that one. I don't know. Um, you know, Baltimore could put up a ton and the Jets get a couple touchdowns and it goes over. But it could be, um, you know, with that defense, the Jets are projected, again, a top 10 defense. They could hold them in check a little bit, but Baltimore still do enough to cover. So uh, the one that, you know, I'm more confident in is the the Ravens to cover that that touchdown and extra point. Yeah,
1: that's, that's the safe bet, in my opinion, feels much more just the Ravens covering. But betting on how many points is definitely a little tricky there.
0: And moving on to, I believe this is, I don't have it on here, but I believe this is the first of our 4 o'clock games, Las Vegas at the L.A. Chargers. This is a huge one, one of the biggest games of week one. Uh, The Raiders are three-and-a-half-point underdogs on the road, 52-point total. So, again, one of the biggest games, Devontae Adams' first game in Las Vegas. We can't forget week 18's potential tie-gate last year. Herbert's unbelievable fourth-down conversions – Brandon Staley's timeouts that may or may not have enticed the Raiders to go for the win instead of going for the tie to get them both in the playoffs. Can't imagine that really had anything to do with it. But that AFC West is stacked this year. Both of these teams should compete and have a chance to win the division. Uh, The Chargers are our favorite here at Football Outsiders to win the division, but it's close and all four teams are projected over eight and a half wins and they're all top 15 in DVOA. So So much fantasy goodness in this one. Um, You've got Justin Herbert, Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, Austin Eckley, even Gerald Everett, new tight end there in L.A., and then Derek Carr, Devontae Adams, Hunter Renfro, Darren Waller. I mean, there's just so much to choose from. You're starting pretty much any of these guys you've got, I think, in season long. What are your favorite DFS plays and any stacks in this one? What are your favorites? Uh, I'm sure there are several stacks you could play in this one.
1: Yeah, it's one of those games where – Finding the right stack might be the key to it because there are so many options to it. And I would be more than happy adding in Mm. players like um, Josh Palmer, who's 3,800 as the wide receiver three in... Los Angeles, like we've seen that they brought him back. They started using him much heavier down the stretch last year. Over the first 10 weeks, he averaged just 28% of snaps and then that jumped to 58 over the remaining weeks of the season. They did re-sign Jalen Guyton, but to a veteran minimum deal. And it really seems like Josh Palmer is, he can play both as deep threat like Mike Williams, but he can also play close to the line of scrimmage like Keenan Allen. And it seems like he's going to get a lot of opportunities this year which will help the Chargers open up defenses even more. So I'm more than happy adding any kind of stack, adding him in there. Gerald Everett, you know, some people thought he had a poor season with the Seahawks, but he still ranked ninth in yards after contact at the position. And he had the joint most broken tackles at the position of nine. So there were bright spots that you can create a narrative where it's like, okay, it just didn't work out because the Seahawks last year weren't particularly great. On the Vegas side of things, Derek Carr's somebody I've struggled with over years in terms of building stacks around him because he very rarely supports more than one fantasy relevant option. Like we've seen it, you know, going back to the days of Michael Crabtree and Amari Cooper, he still struggled to really get somebody into that top tier more than one player. So it'll be interesting to see how much he spreads the ball around and how that's reflected in fantasy. Devante Adams is eighty one hundred, and at that price, you really need a big game out of him to justify it. So, it's a little tricky. I feel like people will look to pay down a little bit in this game and try and find those players like Mike Williams that are a little bit cheaper. So, in that, you might find that by playing Devante Adams, you're actually playing the contrarian side of things. And if we see this whole whitewater rafting best friend narrative play <laughs> between him and Derek Carr just explode and he goes for like two touchdowns and 150 yards, that could be the key to the slate. So I don't mind it at all. I feel like I'll probably between now and lock on Sunday, I'll create an awful lot of lineups to sort of feature these teams heavily.
0: Yeah, I'm counting on Justin Herbert. He's a guy that I took in in season long, um, had him last year as well, and just was was very good um, for, for fantasy lineups. Now, you know, we mentioned there's a lot of fantasy goodness here. The total is the second-highest total of the week at 52 points. With the offenses, I lean over initially, but at the same time, the Chargers' defense is projected to be much better than Vegas. Vegas is around average. LAC is projected third-highest in defense. They got J.C. Jackson. They lured him away from New England. Um, Still have Bosa. They've got a really good defense, Derwin James there. Both of the offenses are projected top ten, but I think Herbert and the Chargers are too much for the Raiders and that Chargers' defense – Keeps the Raiders in check at least a little bit. They're going to score their points. But I like the Chargers to cover that three-and-a-half-point spread. Um, And also for this one to stay under, probably going to get pretty close and uh, make me pretty nervous. Late, there obviously is the chance that these two offenses just go off for a bunch of points. Um, But I lean with the under on that high one and just think that Chargers defense is going to come out pretty strong on Sunday.
1: I think it's one of those where – it's just going to be such a good game to watch. Like, you know, this is going to be one of the real highlight games of the week. And I think if you've got any players, that you're starting in it, then it's probably going to be a fun game. The only players, but I'd have a little hesitation about might be the Raiders running backs. We saw that uh, Josh Jacobs, he's in his contract year. They turned down the option of his fifth year extension. And, it seems like Zemir White might be somebody they look to get involved early Whether that happens this week with the first game of the season remains to be seen, but I'd probably be avoiding the Raiders running backs.
0: Yeah. Josh Jacobs was my pick in our uh, staff uh, predictions that just went out today on footballoutsiders.com to fall short of his Kubiak prediction. You said, I think Zamir White gradually gets more and more work. Brandon Bolden, uh, potentially in the, the past game, um, They've got a couple guys that they could have. He's not going to catch his 50-plus passes I don't think he caught last year. And today, I I think I agree with you, he could could fall short this week as well. Going right into another big game that could feature a lot of points, this has the highest total of the week, another game out west. we got three big games out west this week starting with tonight. But the Kansas City Chiefs, six-point favorites at Arizona, 53.5-point total, again, the highest total of the week. Kyler Murray got his contract. Now he just needs them to needs to lead them to a playoff win. I uh, got embarrassed in the first round last year, Mahomes and the chiefs on the other hand, they're not AFC favorites this year. They're still going to contend though. So despite the loss of Tyree kill, Kansas city still projected as our number one offense, Arizona really only projected around the middle of the league. They're going to be missing Deandre Hopkins. The first six games, Rondell Moore has been a little banged up. I think he's still expected to go in week one and expect them to get him the ball. But with two of our bottom five projected defenses, don't be surprised to see the over hit even having the highest total this week. And that's the way I'm going to lean is the over in this one and take Kansas City to cover all the questions about missing Hill, who's going to step up outside of Kelsey, plus the hype around Buffalo. I think Mahomes and the Chiefs come out and take care of business. And and that Arizona defense has been finished top ten lately, but they really have, have looked better or have not looked as good as they actually finished. Um, so I think they, they take a step back this year and Kansas City comes out and just puts up a lot of points today, which is going to lead to fantasy points. So what are you thinking? Uh, do you have a take on the, the spread of the total? And then we can go ahead and get into the fantasy side of it as well.
1: Yeah, like you, I I feel like we're going to see this go over the so was it 54 points. At, uh,
0: 53 and a half or 54. I think it's, uh, you, it's seen both of them.
1: You can see this being sort of both teams scoring sort of high end of the 20s, mid-30s. And for me, that just opens it up to so many opportunities for DFS. And whereas in previous years, you've had to look at stacking Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey with Mahomes. It's incredibly hard to do. It takes such a big percentage of your salary that you're really struggling with the rest of your team. This is the cheapest the Chiefs have been to stack them up in years. And now you can look at adding Patrick Mahomes with Juju Smith Schuster, who is quite cheap this week. I believe he's sort of 5,200. Marcus Valdez Scantling, who's around that sort of 4,500 mark. And on the other side of the ball, Rondale Moore looks to be really one of the most popular picks of the week. I think with DeAndre Hopkins being out, people are just penning him in for that high percentage sort of catch. You know, we've seen him be used really close to the line of scrimmage. He had like something crazy like a 2.0 A dot last year for the average depth of target. So there's a lot of options. I feel it's going to be really interesting to see how Marquise Brown deals with being the focal point of a passing attack this year. When he was in Baltimore, there was always Mark Andrews there. So even though he might have had top cornerbacks lining up against him, a large portion of coverage was always dedicated to Mark Andrews. So over these first six games, I'm really keeping a close eye on him. He's 6,200, which... Feels slightly pricey, like it's at that sort of range where it's like, oh, is he going to pay off? But it just takes so little from Kyler Murray, one big deep ball, and all of a sudden yeah. you're getting 100-yard bonuses. You've got the touchdowns. So it's a little tricky. I think he gets the targets
0: too. I think Brown will get pretty much as many as he can can handle as well.
1: Yeah, and it's one of those where I don't think there's particularly a wrong way to play this. If you're looking to play any of these players for cash games where you're basically looking to beat half the field, Juju's somebody who I really like this week. I wrote him up in my DFS column today, and he is – let me just find that – 5,200, and yeah, you can really imagine him seeing a high volume amount of targets, racking up those PPR points. And if I'm playing small field tournaments, I would just – absolutely stack as many pieces in this game and hope it blows up.
0: Anybody from the Kansas City backfield you're comfortable with? I know Edwards Hilaire has been kind of (laughs) underwhelming. Um, There's talk about Pacheco taking over. They've still got Jarek McKinnon there. Uh, But it seems hard to predict that in in Kansas City. Yeah.
1: I mean, the fact that they kept all four running backs on the roster, even Ronald Jones made it after there was some talk he might get cut, it becomes really difficult. I do think Clyde Edwards and is going to see – the majority of the work, he'll see more snaps than anyone else. But we've seen they don't particularly like to use him around the the goal line. So if he's not getting those high-value touches, if Jared McKinnon and Pacheco are coming in and seeing plenty of the pass catching opportunities, then he really becomes that sort of between-the-20s runner where he's not going to give you the ceiling that you need from him. Um, so, no, to be honest, I'll wait and see on this one, look at the snap counts next week and see... Was favored in which situations, so and then maybe look to attack them in a different matchup.
0: Yep, I agree. Now, the next matchup we have, there's no question about who's going to be getting the touches in the backfield for either team, really. We've got the New York Giants going into Tennessee as five and a half point underdogs, a total 43 and a half points. It's one of those kind of blah games. You know, I don't think anyone outside of those markets is really looking forward to the Giants and Titans. Titans were the number one seed last year, but were the worst number one seed in DVOA history. Uh, Now the Giants, on the other hand, look to have a fresher offense with Brian Dable in there, but there's a lot of questions still, and there are preseason leaders for the worst record and number one overall pick in 2023. Now, I wouldn't necessarily be surprised if the Giants pulled the upset here, but I expect Tennessee – to be a little too much to win, um, I'll take the Giants to cover just because I think they're going to be improved from last year with just a, a better offensive environment, a much more friendly offensive environment. Um, and Tennessee's defense was good last year. They're young. They're not projected super high. I think like 22nd or the 20th fire numbers. Um, and the total is one of the lower totals at 43.5. I like the under there. I don't really like too much, again, from this game um, in general, but I mentioned those running backs. I think Saquon is a guy that you like. I was really high on him this year. We know Derrick Henry is going to get to work. How are you feeling about these guys uh, at their price points this week?
1: Yeah, so, I mean, Saquon, firstly, I mean, you know, he's somebody who, We've seen by now that running backs who are returning from ACL injuries can be a little hit and miss when they first do, but then there's plenty of data to show that a year further removed from it that they're a lot more productive. So he's 6,100 this week, and I would expect him to be a popular player. I think people, you know, you look at the backfield and behind him, there's only Matt Breeder. Like, Matt Breida's not pushing anyone too far this year. Yeah. You look at the wide receivers, and Kenny Golladay, Kadarius Tone, and Sterling Shepard are all carrying – various forms of injuries. We've really only got Darius Slayton and Wondell Robinson available. Tight end, we saw Ricky Seals-Jones go out for the season with an injury, so there's only the rookie, Daniel Bellinger. So it really feels like if this team's going to move the ball, then it's going to have to run through Saquon Barkley. So at 6,100, I really quite like him. On the other side of the ball, you've got Derek Henry, who's one of the most pricey running backs on the slate at 8,600. At that price, you're really looking for a 25-30 point game because if you play him and he only gets you 15 points, that's production which you could have got from another running back who was far cheaper and it's quite hard to overcome. I've done, you know, several hundred best ball drafts this year, and I've probably drafted Derrick Henry in three or four percent of them. He's just we know how dominant he can be. And last year we saw him more involved in the, in the passing game. But it's just really hard to put your faith in him. And he's somebody that I probably will play more going forward. But right now, this game, the main interest for me is Saquon Barkley. And I might take a speculative play on Austin Hooper, who's the tight end there now. He left the Browns. And by all accounts, him and Ryan Tannehill have got a decent rapport. And he's only 3,700. So even if he has a poor game, it doesn't kill your lineup. It would be very interesting to see how much Traylon Burks has played, though. He's 5K and, you know, we've heard all the reports. Mike Mike Rabel isn't the kind of coach who wants a player who isn't practicing and who isn't healthy. Yeah. You know, we saw with Julio Jones last year. It just seemed to annoy him constantly whenever Julio wasn't playing. So how much does he get on the field and how much can we look to glean from that to be able to possibly play him next weekend and going forward?
0: Um, any that was one of the things I was asked about Shalen Burks um, if not him is there do you think there will even be enough passing volume in this game to make even Robert Woods a good play? Um, I know they're gonna throw the ball some but it seems like again a very heavy Derrick Henry game similar to that Indianapolis game with Jonathan Taylor.
1: Yeah, I mean Robert Woods is 5600 on DraftKings, so he's, he's quite a reasonable price but from there, I think it's difficult to project him. To really have a big ceiling when you look at somebody we looked at before, like Juju Smith Schuster, 5200. It's just an easier pivot for me. I feel much more confident that if you were really looking to attack this game, I would get Robert Woods play. But again, he's coming back from an ACL injury and has made good progress, but you never really know till you see him on the field. I think mm-hmm. Nick Westbrook Akine is somebody who, if you really want to take a dart throw, he's been quite good for the titans at times and maybe you can carry that relationship with Tannehill over and have a good start to the season
0: yeah so that's again not not a lot there other than the running backs um kind of just a blah game overall move on to one where there is a lot more fantasy fun a lot more just excitement in general green bay two point favorites going into minnesota the total is 47 points here Really the biggest question mark here is who's going to pass catches now that Devontae Adams is gone. Is Rodgers going to give the rookie receivers a long enough leash and be more patient than years past? We know he trusts Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon, uh, so they're going to get touches beyond the field this uh, together a lot, be split out to catch passes. Um, meanwhile, the defense could be a huge help for this offense this year. We're only projecting them 16th. But they've got seven first-round picks on that defense, six of them starting. They really have the potential and are kind of, a, I think, a popular pick to make that jump into potentially into the elite tier this year. But they have their hands full in week one with really their biggest threat to winning the division, and that's the Vikings. Kevin O'Connell coming in should really unleash this offense with Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, Dalvin Cook, a healthy Irv Smith. Kirk Cousins is kind of one of those safe picks in your season-long play. But I feel like he could be a play, maybe, maybe not this week, DFS is going up against a good defense and good secondary, but moving forward, I think there's a lot to be expected from this offense um, really even this week, but if not this week, just in general, this is a pretty friendly offense this year.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, as you mentioned with Kevin O'Connell, he's come from the Rams where they used to play in much more wide receiver heavy sets than Mike Zimmer did. You know, Mike Zimmer was very much a run first whenever possible yeah. kind of mindset towards the end. So, I quite like KJ Osborne. I think, you know, he had a really solid sophomore campaign where he picked up 82 targets, turned them into 655 yards and seven touchdowns. The majority of that was when Adam Thielen was out, but it feels like now he's going to be on the field much more often and see some of those opportunities. He's only 3,800 on DraftKings this week. So if you're looking to attack this game, he's somebody I don't mind adding on to it. On the Packers' side of the ball, you know, Fantasy Twitter is a wash with talk of Sammy Watkins being a week one fantasy hero and somebody who we should be looking at. But, I mean, I'm a Ravens fan. I saw him last year. It felt like there wasn't anything left in the tank. And if you go back over the last three years to when he really blew up on opening day for 48 points, since then, it halved down below that to 22. Last year, it was 14. This opening day narrative, it's gone a little overblown, really. So, I won't be starting Sammy Watkins no matter what. Christian Watson is somebody I'm really interested in. I think he's a real wild card. You know, we saw the team trade up for him. We know he played in North Dakota, which was a bit gadgety the way they used him. But he really feels like the kind of player that could win fantasy leagues this year if he does have Aaron Rodgers' trust. He's, you know, he's missed a bit of training camp, which is a shame. And then outside of that, it's Romeo Dube's at 3,000, which is the minimum cost for a wide receiver on DraftKings. I would expect people to gravitate towards Romeo dubes if they're stacking up this game.
0: Yeah. And Rogers has praised him. You know, he had a couple where he said, you know, he's got to catch those balls, but we've seen the the throws and the the connection between them and videos coming out of camp um, and the praise from Rogers, which uh, like I said, is sometimes rare for the, the rookie receivers um, on the other end, you know, it's Dalvin cook. Um, I've, I don't have his price. I know I'm sure you do, but, he scored eight touchdowns in five games against Green Bay since 2019. Um, I think I'm pretty sure one of them was a four-touchdown game. I think it was two years ago. Um, just had a huge game. Uh, is he worth starting for you? You know, we've got that improved Green Bay defense. Um, at, at his price, except I don't, I don't have the price in front of me. I'm sure you do. But is that someone that you're willing to target this week?
1: Yeah, so he's 7,900, so he's really – he's 300 more than Alvin Kamara, and he's just a little bit cheaper than the likes of CMC and Jonathan Taylor, like, by a little bit. So he's somebody who, as you mentioned, he could really break a slate open. And if
0: Should catch more passes this year, I think.
1: Exactly that. If this Vikings team is going to look to pass the ball more often, perhaps he sees even more dump-offs from the backfield. And I do really like Dalvin Cook. I think – he is one of those last sort of like running backs who really has the chance to be the running back one. And there's not very many running backs who really have that in their, in their outcomes. So very much fine playing him. I think the Packers running backs, it gets a little dicey trying to work out which one of them you'd like to play yeah. because even though Aaron Jones, we've seen his in limited amounts, we've seen that games without Devante Adams, his points just go through the roof but. Mm-hmm. AJ Dillon is by no means a backup. He's a very good running back in his own right. So seeing how they're used is very interesting. And if you do feel confident on Eve of them, I mean, Aaron Jones is 6,700. So you're, you're getting that baked into your price. People are unsure on how it'll play out.
0: Yeah. And uh, LaFleur, I think, called uh, Dillon and Jones 1A and 1A. So they're, <laughs> and I mentioned they're going to, they're probably going to be on the field together a lot. I agree with you, Dalvin Cook. Um, In the mock draft we did uh, on the FO stream a couple weeks ago, I said that, you know, he would be – he's my pick for the number one, for the RB1 this year. I think that offense is just going to have a huge year. He's going to score definitely more than – I guess not definitely, but more than six touchdowns. I think he'll get into that double-digit range this year. From a betting perspective on this game, man, Cousins in Minnesota, they beat Green Bay in Minneapolis last year as one-and-a-half-point dogs. Minnesota's got proven talent at all three levels defensively. They added Harrison Phillips. they won't be required to start their high draft picks right away, uh, their rookie cornerback and safety. I give Minnesota the edge offensively, at least beginning of this year. Um, they're our seventh projected offense. I hate to say it, is my pick to cover and win over my Packers. I actually like them to win the division as well this year. I just I think they're just going to have a big year. I hope I'm wrong this week and on the season, but I really like them at home in that atmosphere with Rodgers still kind of building a connection with his receivers to come out and to win this game outright as underdogs. Um, Again, would love to be wrong on this one, get off to a a 1-0 start, but Minnesota is is my – they were my pick in our staff predictions to overachieve as well, be the the best bet to overachieve. So we'll see it come Sunday. Uh, We'll see. (laughs) Moving on, we've just got a couple games left. Uh, I know we spent a lot of time on some of these games. This is going to be the Sunday night game, a rematch of last season's opening kickoff game. Fantastic game last year. Tampa Bay won on a field goal with just two seconds left. They're projected to have a top-two offense, but just slightly below average defense this year. Meanwhile, Dallas is kind of the opposite. An average offense, after trading Amari Cooper, losing Cedric Wilson, plus the loss of Tyron Smith really hurts them. But the defense is projected to remain a top-ten unit. So this could finally be the year Brady declines. I know people have been saying that for years now. Seems like Chris Godwin is on track to play, but then I saw today he said it will basically come down to Sunday before the game. What are you looking at and kind of what are your thoughts um, on Godwin and then just in general from this game on both sides?
1: Yeah, I mean, Godwin was somebody I bought a lot of in best ball this year because it felt like, you you know, you could get him at one point in the eighth round. And even if he missed a month, he was worth it for the end of season push there. So right. I'm very much invested in Godwin and hopefully, hopefully I'd rather see him take a couple of weeks and make sure that he's fully healthy when he comes back. And with the additions of Julio Jones and Russell Gage, I think that's, you know, along with Mike Evans, they can survive a couple of weeks. When this game started the season last year, it was a, di- a game which it was all through the air. The rushing games just really didn't get going. And that'd be interesting to see because the Bucks were one of those teams you just didn't want to rush against. And some teams just gave up completely. So it'll be interesting to see how the Cowboys try to attack him because, you know, we've spent months hearing Jerry Jones talk about everything runs through Zeke. And I don't know how that is. But we've also seen Tony Pollard get talked up. as well. It's a bit of a trope. We've seen that talk about him being used more as a wide receiver. But he does have the ability, if they choose to, his receiving line is set at 18.5, which he beat that in nine games last season. So I find that a really interesting bet to be with yeah, it really just comes down to the wide receivers for me. And if you were playing this in DFS, it would be the one-game slate showdown. And CD Lamb would be somebody I'd be very interested in putting in that captain spot.
0: Yeah, and uh, that's Bucks defense. You know, they, they finished top ten against the pass last year, but it was up and down throughout the year. They dealt with some injuries, had some question marks. The front defensive front, I think, like you said, uh, it was tough to run on them last year. I think there could be some – some space in the passing game and and CD Lamb. I'm expecting a big game or big year from him. I think he he's one of those guys that has the push or the potential to finish as the wide receiver one this year. Um, Not wouldn't be my favorite, but I think he's just going to get a ton of targets. He's going to get a lot of work. It's really him and Dalton Schultz until Gallup's back. And Jalen Tolbert's been talked up there as the number two guy. I think maybe he could even have some value tonight um, as a number two guy there or not tonight, Sunday night's. Um, when you know, I think they're gonna have to throw the ball a little bit more, like you said,
1: yeah, definitely. And he was somebody who flashed early in camp before fading, so mm-hmm. it'd be interesting to see how he is. But I was kind of hoping that James Washington would have been healthy to start the season, yep. but he got injured. So really, it is just it's all got to run through Schultz and CD Lamb, you'd imagine,
0: yeah. And uh, the, on the other side, that Cowboys defense was second against the pass last season. Um, you know, Tom Brady has his weapons. The Dallas offense is the big question mark. Uh, Tyron Smith, without him, the Dallas Cowboys were below average in the five games without him last season on offense. I like Tampa to cover on the road as two-and-a-half-point favorites on Sunday nights. Um, And our FO straight-up pick is also Tampa, but it is our lowest confidence pick. Um, But I'm riding with them to, to win and to cover. Uh, maybe they get a a field goal and win by more. I think last year they just won by two. They were down one. But I like them to cover that two-and-a-half point line. Uh, Again, I mentioned our confidence picks. You can get all of those NFL picks every week with an FO Plus subscription. Sign up for uh, today's the last day for 10% off of our FO Plus where you get our NFL picks. You get uh, fantasy fantasy news. There's a lot of great articles on there that are going to be included in FO Plus at footballoutsiders.com slash subscribe. So moving on, we've got our last game, and we've been, been on here a while going through all these games, uh, giving a lot of great information here. This one I don't think we really need to spend a ton of time on, at least from uh, you know a betting perspective. Right now, uh, Denver is a six-and-a-half-point favorite going into Seattle, 44-and-a-half points. The Rust revenge game, it's Wilson's first game not playing for Seattle, and it's against Seattle at Seattle. So the Seahawks went with Geno Smith over Drew Locke only projected 26th overall. They're actually my pick in the staff projections or predictions as the first overall pick next year. They've got a tough schedule, two, two games each against all their division. They play the AFC West. They play the Saints on the road, the Bucks in Germany. I just – personally, it's my favorite pick of the week, Denver to cover minus six and a half. I don't think Seattle will really have much success offensively. Um, the Denver defense isn't really projected that high on our end, but Geno Smith, Drew Locke – I, DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett are still very good receivers, but I just think Denver is, is going to have a pretty easy time and Russ is going to light it up against his old team. From a fantasy perspective, I'm really big high on Cortland Sutton this year. Um, what are you looking at in this game? Is there anyone from Seattle you're willing to play? Um, and then what are you thinking about the Denver guys?
1: Yeah, well, it's a little bit easier with Kenneth Walker being out with this kind of hernia surgery, but we're not quite sure how bad it is yet, that you can probably fire at Rashad Penny in any situation where you've got him. You probably play him quite happily in the DFS showdown and just see whether he picks up where he left off last season. I mean, over the final five games of the year, he was averaging 120 yards per game, averaging two big runs per game. Mm-hmm. And they're the ones that really help for fantasy because if you can score quickly then it forces the opposition back on the field and it tends to increase the amount of points in the game. So that would be interesting. DK Metcalf, it would be really interesting to see how he plays because in the couple of games that he played with Geno Smith last year, his stats took a spike, not quite to the Elijah Moore, Joe Flacco level, Mm -hmm. but he went from 14 PPR points per game up to 19.32. He went from 4.39 receptions per game up to five and his touchdowns increase point from 0. 0.52 per game with Russ to one point two with Geno Smith. So it would be very interesting to see if that rapport keeps going. And then on the Denver side of things, it all it's got to be Cortland Sutton. I think he's going to be a very popular choice to be captain in DFS showdown games. Yeah. And you really just want to see those moon balls downfield to Cortland Sutton and see Russ carve them up. But it just feels like it's going to be a bit of a cringy game. Russ Wilson, you know, he's a cringy personality. Seeing, <laughs> It's it's not a game which I feel I feel like the storylines around it are going to be better than the action on the field. Yeah.
0: yeah, like I said, I don't really expect it to be much of a game. Um seems like a couple years ago we had a lot of Monday night football games. Last year we had some better games, but this year – um, doesn't seem like there's a lot to love from Seattle. could be proven completely wrong, and I wasn't the only one to pick Seattle as the, the first overall pick for next year. Um, but I think just Denver gets the best of Seattle, really. It uh, doesn't really make it that close at all. So that does it. Uh, it's Monday night. That wraps up our Week 1 preview. We'll be here every Thursday. Uh, giving you a preview of every single game running through the betting lines, the totals, um, just kind of an overview of each game. And then Tom giving a lot of DFS advice. Um, You can also catch his article comes out. Does it come
1: out on Thursdays, I believe, each week? Yeah, it's out on Thursday mornings.
0: Thursday mornings. So we'll touch on some of that here. Uh, but also some things that aren't in the article. So be sure to come back. Don't forget to sign up for FO plus at football slash subscribe. Again, today is the last day you get that for 10% off. There's a lot of good stuff in there that you can't, can't get without the FO plus subscription. Uh, ads are also, uh, not on the FO plus. Um, so you'll have the, the pleasure of not having, uh, really ads on the site there with FO plus, um, and also with Underdog, they've got their Pick'Em Challenge throughout the season, as well as a Battle Royale. You can get to, uh, match your deposit up to $100. So it's 100% deposit match up to $100 uh, with the promo code OUTSIDERS at Underdog Sports. Tom, thank you for joining me uh, from across the pond. I know it's getting kind of late for you, but I imagine you'll be up watching that game tonight and won't really uh, want to miss it, right?
1: Uh, I, I go the other way. I get up at 5 a.m. to watch it so that I can skip the adverts. And, uh, I'm, you know, I'm in my mid-30s. I'm too old for staying up to 1 a.m. to really kick off the
0: game. Yeah, I hear it. it's, it's hard enough for me to stay up to the end of the game sometimes, and it's just about 11.30 or midnight where I am. So, <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks for joining me. It's good. Our first show together. Again, our first uh, NFL preview for week one. We'll be back next week to preview Thursday Night Football and the rest of week two. Thanks for joining us.